Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. Well, praise God again. Happy New Year. So glad that we get to be in the house of the Lord. Um, It's just absolutely blessed. Blessed to be here. Blessed uh, of what God is doing in our lives, especially when we surrender to Him and step away from our lives. Um, We had a wonderful last sermon series on the Ten Commandments, and God didn't want to let us go. So what we wanted to keep going is the greatest command. (laughs) So we went through, and we started off teaching the Ten Commandments with, why should we teach the Ten Commandments? Because Jesus uh, talked about the the great commandments. We, we talked about when the rich ruler came to him. He's like, what should I do? What do I need to do to be safe, to, to be righteous? And he gives the Ten Commandments. So we kind of talked about that when we look at the Ten Commandments, it kind of gives us a uh, blueprint of how to do the greatest commandments. And then we're like, well, if we talked about the greatest commandments, the, the Ten, let's, do, let's talk about the Two. So we're going to look into those in this next couple of uh, next month or so and dig really deep into that of where God um, really talks about. It. So first we're going to read actually Jesus mentioned it and then we're going to read where he got that commandment. Because always remember that Jesus did not come to demolish the law, but fulfill it. So a lot of his teachings um, is from the Old Testament, the Proverbs, the Psalms, the 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 Torah itself, so it's it's good for us to see that and to to connect to it because there's such rich history about it, and that's where he got all his wisdom from. Uh, then also the apostles and everybody else. So we need to look at the scriptures as a whole and never just in one space. So where we find the great the great commandment is in Mark chapter twelve verse thirty. Uh, it actually starts in verse 29. So Mark chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 29 through 31, it says, the, they ask him, which of all the commandments is the most important? And Jesus responds, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So what we see here when Jesus quotes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. He's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This is known as what's called the Shema. It is not only a commandment that God gives and the commandment that Jesus quotes from, but the Shema, the way that we have the Lord's Prayer, which before we study the Ten Commandments, we actually did a study on the Lord's Prayer. So this is pretty appropriate because it combines both a prayer and a commandment into one. In Jewish tradition, the Shema is like the most important prayer that they have. The way that Christians often use the Lord's Prayer as kind of a universal known prayer Um, That's how the Shema is in Jewish tradition. So they usually pray it three times a day. And this is important to know this context because remember, Jesus was Jewish and he was brought up in that tradition. So he would have been praying the Shema three times a day. So when he's to ask, what is the greatest commandment? He immediately goes and he points to 
um, the Shema, which is something that was totally ingrained in their culture, something that was part of the fabric of the, the very heart of their faith, um, that it's the greatest commandment that they have, and it's one that is part of their cultural and spiritual identity. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, I'm going to read 4 and 5, and you'll see how parallel they are. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And before we get into it, I just want to point out, remember we talked about when the Lord is capital, um, it's actually the name of God. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in tradition, um, the Bible translators take the name of God because it was considered so sacred and so holy. It was, remember that yod heh vav which has kind of been lost in how it's meant to be pronounced, but many of us now say Yahweh. So where the Lord is all caps, it actually says, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So you see they're very parallel. But before we get too far into it, I just want to note, Jesus says, with your mind and strength. And the reason he says it that way is because in the Greek, there was something that was lost in translation. The Hebrew translation is ma'od. And the word ma'od involves both your mind and your strength. It's with your muchness. The, the actual translation would be your muchness. So it's with all of who you are. So basically with everything you have. Um, so when Jesus quotes it, because it's lost from the Hebrew to the Greek, he actually splits it into two words. But he is directly quoting what we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Yeah, and also ju- just to kind of point out, Deuteronomy ch- chapter 6, right where we find Shema, is right before chapter 5 where uh, Moses retells the Ten Commandments. So in chapter 5, verses 6 through 21, that's the, they retell the Ten Commandments again. Moses tell, retells, and then he kind of talks about it, and then here he is, let's talk about Shema. So he brings up the Ten Commandments, and then he brings up the commandment, the, 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 the Shema and everything else. The other part of the Great Commandments is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And that one says, do not seek revenge on your revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that's the, the second part of it that is found in Leviticus uh, of the two commandments that, that Jesus kind of brings up as the greatest commandments. So what we want to focus on today is the, the very beginning where it says, hear, O Israel. So we're going to focus on the word here. We're, we're going to get into more of what the structure of the Shema is. But we just want to study today, what does this word here mean? So the word Shema, which is what the commandment and the prayer is, we keep using that word. Shema is Hebrew, and it's the Hebrew word for hear. So literally the prayer and the command is called Shema because it begins with the word hear. And one of the most important things that it's drawing your attention to is that you need to hear. The reason for that is because, again, understanding the Hebrew, the word for hear did not just mean to listen. In fact, in Hebrew, there's no separate word between hear and obey. So the word Shema doesn't only mean to hear it with your ears. It means to do. So the word hear is meant to transform you. Like we even say in English, like, I feel like you're not hearing me. Or I feel like you're hearing me, but you're not really listening. So we kind of differentiate like that even in English, where you you feel like someone's not understanding. 
And we see repeatedly in scripture, Jesus says that. He says that you have ears that are ever hearing, but never understanding. He also repeatedly says in scripture, after he quotes a parable, he'll say, let he who has ears to hear, let them hear. Mm. And he's referring to this tradition, which is that when you hear, you don't just hear with your ears, but it changes your heart and it, it has an effect with your actions that there should be an outflow from what you're hearing and out of respect for the Lord, it should actually change. It should be transformative. Does that make sense? Go ahead. And then also use for uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, and I think we've experienced this before when we tell somebody something to do something, they're like, yeah, I heard you. Like, Mm. no, I need you to listen. So that means do what I just told you to do, not just, oh, yeah, I heard it. No, there's got to be something more. So we're going to break up into three things for this teaching. Number one is about this this understanding of hearing is action. Second one is what happens when we don't listen when God is speaking. And then we're going to want to talk about is how does that look like to actually hear the Lord? Um, so we're going to have a couple of examples from the scripture, how that looks like. So the first, th- the first verse that we want to talk about is out of Romans chapter 2, verse 13. And this is a very small, uh, short verse, but it, it really, again, the word speaks for itself. There's not a lot to add to it, but it's a great verse. Uh, Romans 2, verse 13. It says, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight. But it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Hmm. Huge difference. It becomes a very huge difference of you sitting there and every Sunday hearing the pastor preach and walking away and not changed. It's a very important part in our Christian discipleship, the sanctification part of who we are is when we take the word that we hear and we start obeying it. That's the big difference. That's the big change of what God desires from us. He does not want us to just hear. He does not want us to hear. He wants us to action that Shema. He wants you to go into an action, right? So with, with that understanding, again, that it doesn't just come through listening. And we, in Christian culture, especially Western Christian culture, we've detached, um, even when we have faith, like you were mentioning, Brittany, it's, it becomes an intellectual thing. Like, you have to believe the right theological things. But the, the actual biblical understanding, while it's important to believe the, the certain things, uh, for example, James talks about how even the demons believe there's one God, which comes from the Shema, that there's the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. He says, even the demons believe in one God and shudder. So belief alone is not what what needs to happen is that faith without deeds is dead, right? So what we hear and what we believe has to translate into our action. And in Luke chapter seven, we're going to go from Luke. I'm sorry, Luke chapter six, verse 46 starts there. And it's also repeated in Matthew chapter seven. Uh, I'll read both, but they're the same. I'll, I'll do uh, Luke first, and then you can okay. read from Matthew. So Luke chapter 6, verses 46 and 47. And many of you have heard this before, but he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Hmm. So why do you call him Lord, Lord, and do not do what he says? And he says, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. 
So we see this theme continuing. It's not just an Old Testament theme, but it's a New Testament theme that's here in the Gospels from Jesus himself. He says you not only have to hear the word, but you have to put it into practice. And he says, he is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that torrent struck that house it collapsed and its destruction was complete and then matthew chapter 7 has more or less the same but you can read yeah. it slightly different so in uh, matthew 7 starting in verse 24 says therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like wise men who built his house on the rock and then 26 says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And I think the main focus is the foundation that you have in your life. What's, what's your foundation? And again, the foundation is not just hearing the word. It's putting in practice. I think that's, that's a big part of this verse is that you have to put it into practice. It can't, be, can't just quote the scripture, can't just read the scripture. You got to put it in practice. That's where you're going to be able to stand on it. Um, we, we talk about it all the time. It's, it's like, you know, until I sit on this chair, that's when I put it in practice that I know this chair can hold me up. It doesn't matter how much I talk about it or anything like that. It's until I put it in practice. So until I take this, the, what the Word has, has said to me, that He has everything for me, that I should surrender to Him, until I actually do that, that's when my foundation starts building. Till then, it's 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 like a like a sand. Mm-hmm. James. Yeah. So we're gonna go to talk about my my boy James. So like James chapter one. James chapter one really speaks about it. I love it because it happens to me all the time. It happened to Trish today. It was hilarious, where. We were talking about James chapter 1, verse 22, and we just read it. And we were talking about it. And then she's like, yeah, and then James 1, 22. What does it actually say? And like she, We had just read it like three minutes She before. literally forgot, but that's we'll kind of... We'll read it and you'll find the irony in a second. So one twenty two says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. I feel like it's so plainly. It says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. <laughs> and this is an important part is because we need the reason we got to look into the word of God is because it reflects who we are. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we forget and we think we're righteous and good without Christ because we stay away from, from this reflection of purity of who God really, truly is. And that's when we need to go back and look into the Word so that the Word can reflect on who we are and why we need Jesus. It says, but the man who, who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, he continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, by doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So it's, again, it's doing it. Over and over. I, I love the start. Is so That's why James is so plain. I, I always say James is Christianity 101. He's pretty much straight in your face. Like, this is not that hard. Do not merely listen. Do what it says. Very key, simple things that it does. And then he warns why you shouldn't. Why you really should do it and why, what happens when you shouldn't. So the last part about how, just to emphasize how hearing is action. Um, we, you know, we model our lives trying to be in the image of Christ. And 
to do what he does and to model our, ourselves after the, the example that he set for us. And in John chapter 12, verse 49 and 50 says this. Um, this is what Jesus says. He says, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So we see that what Jesus did is that the only things he could say was what he heard, right? What he, the Shema, that he heard from his Father. That was all he could say. And in other scripture, he says that he could only do what he saw the Father doing. Right. So he only again, this this mirror between what he hears, what he says, and then what he hears and what he does. Um, These things are is what we're meant to do. So when we hear from the Lord, it's not just something that should be an intellectual pursuit where God speaks to you and you just say, oh, that's great, Lord. But it's something that should be should transform us and it should change who we are. So that being said, we get into the second part, which is if we don't listen when God speaks, if we don't Shema, right? What are the consequences of that? How does that play out in your life? Yeah, so we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 3. And in Hebrews chapter 3, the, the, the author of Hebrews here really pushes this, uh, this uh, message. And he quotes from Psalm 95. And he quotes from Psalm 95, verse 7 and 8, three times within chapter 3 and chapter 4, within 20 verses of each other. In verse 7... Chapter 3, verse 7 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. So he's reminding of how he said, go into the promised land, and they got scared and they didn't. They didn't listen to him. And then they had to wander around for 40 years until all the fighting men died. They weren't able to go in. They were hard in their hearts because they didn't listen. Then verse 15, again, quotes, Psalm 95, 7 and 8. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Something important. He's really driving this message. into. And again, in, ver- in chapter 4, verse uh, 7, again, today, and I'm just catching the, this part. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It's a warning. It's a warning because he saw what happened with the people of Israel when they hardened their hearts. They did not hear his voice or they heard his voice. And instead of obeying him, they hardened their hearts and turned away from him. And because of that, there was 40-year consequences and death. Right. And what happens is when you harden your heart, when God speaks to you and you don't listen and you don't obey, that process of hardening your heart begins. And the scary part is, is what you see in Scripture is that once you harden your heart... Um, much like Pharaoh and others that you see in scripture where that happens, you start to descend into this where you're, you're hearing from God less and less because once your heart is hardened, you can't hear from him. And then when you can't hear from him, your heart becomes more hardened. And so you begin on this road, this spiral um, of the hardening of your heart. And that's a direct consequence of being the privilege of hearing from the almighty God, mm. but not listening to him. The consequences are huge. Yeah. So second Peter. Oh, you Sorry, want- before you jumped into that, and we can see that in the life of Saul, when God left him, the Spirit of God left him, right? When, when, so he got to such a bad place, then he went to, to see the median, median? Yeah. The, the median, right? To speak to spirits of the to dead. To speak yeah. to spirits. But he went so far down. He's like, I can't hear from the Spirit of God. I'm going to go look for something else. Mm-hmm. So that, that's where, where it becomes. 
becomes worse and worse where we can just dive in a place where we really shouldn't be. Sorry. I just When you were saying that, it just really popped up. Well, and Jesus even says man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we, when we don't hear from the word of the Lord, we become spiritually starved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another consequence. But it actually says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, so at this point, Peter is talking about false teachers and teachers who are not hearing from God, but they're teaching false things. And what happens to the people who listen to them, right? So when we don't hear from the Lord and when we're in disobedience and we listen to false teachings, it actually says this in 2 Peter 2.21, It says, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, is when you hear from the Lord and you're disobedient or you don't obey, you're actually worse than you would were in the state where you had never heard from the Lord at all. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful about pursuing the word of the Lord, going and listening to teachers, going and listening to sermons, praying that the Lord would speak to you. Because if you're not willing to put that into action, if you're not really have a heart that's mm-hmm. willing to be transformed and let it tra- you know, change you from the inside out in your discipleship, you will actually end up in a worse place than you were before you heard that word. It's better for you to have never heard the word at all. So unless you're really w- ready to surrender to the Lord, you need to be careful about what you, what you allow to take in. Be careful about what you even pray because when God answers you, you have to be ready and willing to yield and respond to it. Yeah, yeah and I think that's why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees and the Sadducees because then they knew the word, but they didn't recognize him, right? That's so that, that's, that was just one of those hard things. So what happens as, as we keep on turning away from God and we don't hear his commands and we don't put it into action, now there's, there's sin that's stopping between him and us. In Psalm 66, Psalm 66, verse 18, he, he speaks this really quick, quick verse that kind of points out what happens. It says, if I had cherished the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Hmm. Now there's a separation. We, we get to a place where God is talking to us and we're not listening. Not only we're not listening, we're not, uh, well, we might be hearing, we're just not doing anything about it. And now the heart is getting hardened and now the sin starts creeping in. And now because of that, the Lord would not have listened to what we say back. Now Now we're trying to get his attention. And he's, right. I, I do not know. I so if he speaks you. to us and we don't hear him, like truly hear him, what ends up, ends up happening is, is that then when we speak to the Lord, he refuses to hear us. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty hefty consequence. And in Proverbs chapter 1, it talks about this specifically. Um, the consequences of, in this case, it was Israel's repeated rebellion, their repeated disobedience to his commands. Uh, but it's true for us as well. It says in Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 28, it says, they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but, I will, but they will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. So God hands us over to our devices is what happens. And the same way that when we don't listen to the word of God, it hardens our hearts so that we're less able to hear him. In the same way, God refuses to hear us if we don't listen and obey what he commands us. Yeah, so it's uh, this part is very kind of, kind of doomy, um, but there's hope. 
there's always hope in, in, in God's love. There's always hope in Christ. And in Second Chronicles, <clears throat> sorry, Second Chronicles, uh, verse chapter seven, verse fourteen, it, it gives us a hope. It kind of turns turns around. How do we listen to God? What do we need to do? And uh, this verse um, speaks to to the to the people. If my people who are called by my name, Christians, will humbly themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. So there's a point of repentance that needs to happen. Yes, we heard you. We ignored you. We didn't listen to you. We see that. We ask for forgiveness for that. And we repent. We repent. Change our ways. We were wrong. There's got to be humility and brokenness in that, in that point. And then he will hear that. That's how we start off. We don't start off with, well, when you finally heal so-and-so, then I will praise you. And then, uh-huh. I'll, then I'll listen to you. Then, no, he said, I'm sorry. You come to God. Forgive me. That's how you come to, come to him, especially when you turn away in your heart and your heart. That's how you come to him. And then he will forgive our sins and he will heal their land. So then we can come to him and be able to hear him and how understand how to hear him. Okay. So this gets into our final point, which is how do you hear from the Lord? So whether you are submissive to the Lord and you're pursuing him with all your heart or whether you've fallen into a place where you know that you're in disobedience because God has been showing you and like Jonah, you've been running the other way. Uh, The answer to that is prayer, right? The answer to that is that we pray and we repent. Uh, But not only, not only is that the answer, but we, we found a pattern in scripture that if you want to hear from the Lord, the, the most important thing that you can do in prayer is not even to cry out to God, but it's to listen. A lot of times in our faith, we think about, oh, I need to pray more. I need to pray more. And all we're doing is we're doing the talking. But if prayer is a conversation with God, then it should not just be us talking. It's not a monologue. We should be listening. We should be hearing from the Lord. And we should have an expectation that God will speak to us. Now, he may not show up in a burning bush, but the Holy Spirit will give you nudges and promptings in your heart. He will use other believers to speak life into you. He will give you through his word. He'll give you revelation about the areas in your life that he's pushing you. But what we, what we found was that this pattern actually to help you remember it, um, follows the the word. I love acronyms. So those of you who've been with us a while, you know that. So it actually spells the word pray. Isn't that fun? So (laughs) each letter in pray will stand for something. So this is the pattern that we found of how you truly hear, how you truly Shema, what the Lord is speaking to you. So the first thing is, is that when the Lord speaks to you, he speaks personally, he personally speaks to you. And we're going we're gonna to give you some examples of how this looks. And personally, truly meaning, he's talking to you. Right. You don't need a Joe from the corner saying, I heard God spoke to me to tell you. No, he's going to speak to you. He's, he's gonna, he has a word for you he's going to speak to you, especially when it's, it's, right. that, it's that important. And it's going to be unique to you because God has a personal relationship with you. Mm-hmm. So the way he speaks to me is going to be different from the way he speaks to you. But he will be consistent, which is the next point. He reveals himself. The R is reveals. He reveals himself 
but consistent with the way he's revealed in scripture. Mm. So this is an important point because a lot of people are like, oh, I heard this word from the Lord. Oh, God spoke to me and this and that. Mm. And it's something that's a revelation outside of scripture. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the first number one ways that you can see that it's a false revelation. It's a false teaching. So we have to be careful that when, when God speaks to us and he wants us to Shema, that he speaks to us personally, but, and then the next thing he does is he reveals himself consistent with the way that he reveals himself in scripture so that you know it's for you and two you know it's him right because we don't want to be hearing and it's voices inside our head or it's the enemy right Mm -hmm. we want to make sure that what we're hearing is from the lord almighty the the third thing is that just like we were talking about with the shema with where it's not only hearing but it's action when god speaks to you he he first speaks to you personally then he reveals something about himself and then there's a call to action God does not just speak because he likes the sound of his own voice. When he speaks to you, there's going to be some command that he's giving you. There's going to be something that he's going to tell you to do. And that's why we said, don't seek to hear from the Lord unless you're willing to do whatever he says. Because the next thing that he does is he calls you to act. So the A in pray is to act. And the last thing that happens if you want to Shema, if you want to hear from the Lord, is that you have to be willing to yield. So part of listening, part of hearing from God is that you actually yield to the word that you hear and you're willing to submit and allow God to work through you and allow God to to use you in that way. So the first story that we have is actually the example is a really prominent example, but we can show you the pattern here. It's in Exodus chapter 3. So Exodus chapter 3, verse. we're going to just look at 4 through 10, and it's the burning bush. <laughs> Again, a lot of us probably have said a number of times, unless the bush, <laughs> it's got to be a burning bush experience for me. Maybe I don't this know, is your burning bush. I don't know how right I feel if I'm walking. I probably would just try to get a fire extinguisher or something. <laughs> I'm just saying, bush is burning, you've got to put a hose on it, oh, no. something. So verse 4, it says... When the Lord saw, when the Lord saw that he has gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, "Here I am." Oh, Which a, is the first point. He calls Moses by name. That's mm-hmm. that personal revelation, right? Mm-hmm. And I love his answer. Here I am. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Did not come any closer. God said, "Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is the holy ground." So he reveals himself that this, I am holy. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So God has definitely revealed himself, and he's like, this is who you're hearing from. In case you were wondering, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not be afraid. (laughs) Be terrified. Be terrified. (laughs) Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slaves, drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptian and to bring them up out of the land into, into a good and spacious land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jubazites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, mm. and I have seen the way Egyptians are oppressing them. So that's the action. No, the next one. Yeah. So, oh, no, I'm sorry. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, <laughs> Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you what it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So the reason we like this example is because eventually we know the story. Mm-hmm. Moses does yield, right? But we learn from this encounter, it goes on for like another chapter. Mm-hmm. Because God tells Moses what he wants him to do. And Moses comes up with all these excuses, right? So he does not yield very easily. God he keeps... Was kill him. God was, and God gets so angry that he's going to kill him. So we see that because he's resisting the word of the Lord, he almost ends up in a worse place than he was when he started. So that's why we like this example. Because he doesn't just say... He starts off really well. He says, here I am, Lord. Right? That sounds great. But then when God actually tells him what to do, he's like, whoa, whoa, pump the bricks I'm, you got the wrong guy right and that may be our temptation but we we need to follow through on this you know on this prayer that we actually yield and again we we can only resist the lord so long so eventually he's you need to just allow the lord to do what he's gonna do come on so the next example is from first kings chapter 19 First Kings chapter 19. This is another famous one. This is where God reveals himself, not in the earthquake, not in the, but he reveals himself to Elijah in a whisper, right? Mm. We know the story where Elijah's in the cave. But we're going to see this same pattern. It's in First Kings chapter 19, verses 9 uh, through 16. I'm going to read it. It says, uh, in verses, starting in verse 9, the second half of verse 9, it says, The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? So we see again, it's personal. He, he calls him by name. And he says, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your government, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And so we see that first, God speaks to him personally. And second, there's this revelation of who God is and this revelation of his glory. And it says, the great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the wind, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And this we see, this is why I like the story, because in this one, we see that God reveals himself, but there's these false revelations that happen, right? Where he could have been deceived and he could have gone out expecting that to be the word of the Lord. But he tests and who he knows God to be, he knows the still small voice of God. He knows that he doesn't come with flashes and fog lights and all kinds of exciting noise and all that. You know, he comes in a whisper. He comes in that still small voice. And Elijah, because he knows who God is, recognizes that. And then he says, the voice said to him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah repeats himself. But here's where God calls him to act. He says, go back the way you came. This is verse 15. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram and anoint Jehu son of Nimshi over Israel and anoint Elisha of Saphat and Abel Maloah to succeed you as prophet. And we see that in this, in this, God is calling him to act. There's something for him to do. And Elijah immediately yields. It says right after that, he went from there and he found Elisha. And he calls Elisha to to be his successor and to follow him. And Elisha comes immediately. Now, the other two parts of his command, uh, which is the other important piece we can take from this story, is that 
the other two parts of God's command, the anointing of Hazael and the anointing of Jehu, don't actually, Elisha is the one who does that. So it doesn't happen in Elijah's lifetime, but he obviously relates this command. He relates this, this word from the Lord wow. to Elisha. So sometimes God gives you a revelation and gives you, and it's not even for you. It's not even for your lifetime. So it's so important to hear from the Lord because it's, it's not just for your own personal satisfaction, but God has a word through you that he's trying to share with others that, that will help them fill their purpose and their calling. So this was something that Elisha obviously knew to do that. Um, we see him do it in, in case you want to read those stories, it's in second Kings chapter eight and chapter nine. We see Elisha in his conversation with Hazael and his conversation with Jehu. They're actually really interesting stories outside the context of what we're talking about here. So go ahead and read them. Um, they're, they're fascinating. So, um, if you want to read where those are fulfilled through Elisha, it's in second Kings chapter eight and nine. Uh, the next example that we want to talk about is Samuel. This is at the beginning of Samuel's ministry. It's 1 Samuel chapter 3. And this is uh, another one of my favorites. Uh, Chapter 3, and I'll start at verse 2, and I'll go through the story. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he Mm. could barely see, was laying down in his usual place. The Lamb of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was laying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. I love that he was in the temple of the Lord. It's just so beautiful. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli real. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling us the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it to tingle. At this time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by the sacrifice and offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. So this is scared. This is the first time he's hearing from God. And the message is your mentor that you love and care, been caring for. Spiritual father. Your spiritual father who you've been living with is going to be judged by me. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. 
The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of this word fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. So the, this was like, this is such a heavy message, but that's another thing that we need to know that just like with what Trish taught earlier with Elijah and Elisha is, is there's this heavy burdens when God speaks to us. And we, Samuel didn't want to share it at first. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to share it. And, and uh, thankful for Eli that he was bold. He's like, I don't care what the word is. I want to hear from the Lord. Because it says earlier, it says uh, in verse uh, 1, the boy of Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So when Eli realized that the Lord is speaking, he's like, I don't care what he has to say. Just tell me something. And even though it was a dooms, not a very good thing for Eli, he, he praised God. At least he spoke. He's like, they were so famished from the word. And I think it's, it's that place where we don't, when we don't hear from, the, from God because of our sins, like with Eli, um, we, we got to seek for it. And we got to be ready to obey it. I love, even though it's Eli is wrong at this point, but he's still, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. That, that's, a, that's a pretty hardcore statement. Yeah. So we see from this that a lot of times the word from the Lord, when we hear from the Lord, it's going to be something that's hard, especially if it's a prophetic word. Uh, people who are preaching prosperity and this and that, and many of us have had these conversations many times, um, that's very often the number one way you can see that someone is a false prophet because the pattern of the prophets in scripture, usually the word is a hard word. It's, a, it's something that people don't want to hear. Um, but the good thing is, is which I, you also see with Samuel, is that God calls Samuel and Samuel doesn't realize it's a word from the Lord and he has to call him many times. And that's the same thing that God does for us. In his grace and in his mercy, he'll tell you. And if you're like, I'm not sure about this, he'll, he'll keep repeating to you until you know that it really is the Lord speaking to you. And then with confidence, you can go forth and you can share that word. So the last example we have is from Matthew chapter 17. Do we have, is that the last one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Matthew chapter 17 Um, This one is specifically with Jesus. It's the story of the transfiguration. And it's uh, verse 1, and we'll read through uh, verse 7, actually. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So we see in this instance, it's actually Jesus who is specifically calling Peter, James, and John because there's something that God wants to show them. So it says there he was transfigured before them. So we see this revelation, right, of who he is. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. Then there appeared before him, interestingly enough, Moses and Elijah, who we just talked about, Mm. talking with Jesus. We didn't plan that, but that's pretty cool. Uh, Peter said to Jesus, and Peter doesn't know what to do with this revelation, so poor Peter. Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He has, he's so clueless. It's funny. Um, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped him, and a voice from the cloud said this, and here's the action. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So the command from God is that we need to listen to Jesus. And here's the last part where we finish. The, hearing from the Lord 
is not only heavy, it's also terrifying, right? When you realize that it's God who's actually speaking to you, it's like, whoa to me, I am undone. Because it's the almighty God and you feel so small very often. It may be an encouraging thing, but it also is a scary thing. So when the disciples heard this, this is verse six, they fell down face down to the ground, terrified. And thankfully Jesus comforts them. He's, he comes and he touches them and he says, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. That's verse eight. So when God speaks to you, it may be something that's a really scary experience, but it's something that the Holy Spirit will give you comfort and affirmation, not to be afraid, but that the Lord will give you the strength and the power to go forth in his truth. Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.